A warm welcome to new listeners and old friends. This is the latest episode of Talking Golf. And it's not just about, okay, I need your hands in this position or I need the club to be here. It's how are you doing today? You know, how's your recovery? How's everything going with Brandon? How are things at home? What have you been doing in the gym? Kind of all of these things. And and he has a good understanding of his guys as human beings. Welcome back to another uh, edition of Talking Golf. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by someone with a name who might not be familiar to you, but has uh, plays a pretty significant role in the game of golf, Dr. Brendan McLaughlin, all the way from sunny Orlando, Florida, in uh, at the top of the hill in Rygate in a very cold, blustery day. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you, Hugh. So I think it's probably best if we start by just getting you to talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you've ended up on top of the hill here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm a chiropractor by profession uh, as well as a strength conditioning coach I did all my education up in Canada where I'm from uh, for years and then worked with a lot of juniors and uh, Canadian tour players up in Canada and just through sort of network of people and just different players ended up coming down to Orlando to work at a golf academy down in Orlando and work with some Canadian players that were down in Florida and then from there that just kind of grew into working with higher and higher level players, web.com players, LPGA players, and then eventually PGA Tour players. So for the last couple of years, my life has really revolved around traveling with some of the guys on the PGA Tour. And that's kind of what has brought me out this way and just sort of traveling all over the world for the last couple of years. So probably the biggest, well, definitely the biggest name player you work with just now is Justin Rose, who's hosting the British Masters across the road here. Absolutely, yeah. How did you get introduced to uh, Justin? My name had come up in conversation with Justin just through a number of people who uh, mutually knew us. You know, he's had a very successful career, but always didn't have someone stateside with him to sort of help manage certain things, just as far as injury prevention and recovery. I mean, he works with Justin Buckthorpe, who's fantastic, and he's sort of based over on this side, Um, but he never really had someone consistent stateside. So I got introduced to Justin in... January of 15, a bit, or, ooh. so January of 17, um, he just asked me to come down, just to take a look at a few things and give him my opinion on what I thought he needed to do and what he needed to work on. And I spent the weekend with him down in, at his place in the Bahamas and uh, we did some work together. And then the following week he was going to Hawaii and he said, hey mate, you wanna come to Hawaii and we'll try this out? And uh, so I went with him to Hawaii and, and just sort of started the process there. And he had a, he had a successful week in my mind in that uh, he was healthy for the whole week. Previous year he had struggled a little bit just completing tournaments. Um, so he had it and he ended up second at that tournament. Yeah. And then that sort of spurred our relationship. So I've essentially been with him for every PGA Tour event since then. As and, well as sort and of your introduction to Justin was was that through Sean Foley? It was through Sean. Yep. Yeah. So another great uh, Canadian. Yes, absolutely. So I, I had worked with a couple of other Sean's players in the past, and he had sort of brought it up, and he said, You'd, it, "Would you be interested?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." Uh, and the next thing I know, ten minutes later, I'm getting a call from Justin asking me to come <laughs> down. So, you know, sometimes that's how these things work. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So, for the listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with how sports medicine works in golf, how you integrate with Justin's coaches, uh, how you manage your day-to-day time with him. 
talk us through a little bit about the work you do. Yeah, I'm very fortunate in my work with Justin in that he's always had a very strong team and sort of being part of that team has made my job in many ways much, much easier. So uh, along with Sean and Justin Buckthorpe uh, and Phil Kenyon and his, and his caddy Mark, we just collectively come to answers together, which is extremely helpful. So, so my role kind of in that team is sort of trying to keep Justin healthy and whether that's through manual therapy or different recovery strategies or in the gym, it's, it's how can we perform. But, but a big part of that is my fully understanding as much as my ability is his game. So yeah. I, I spend probably just as much time with Sean talking about his golf swing and different aspects of his game than I actually do with Justin. And that's been a tremendous help for me in, in understanding kind of the demands of how he plays the game. Because different guys play differently and, and they'll require different things. So it's not just a case of Justin coming to see me and laying on a table and, and me not understanding the context of situations. So I spend a lot of time on the range. I spend a lot of time walking the course with Justin and Sean to really kind of understand him as an athlete. Yeah. And that allows me to prepare kind of recovery strategies a little more appropriately and allows me um, to apply any treatment inter interventions a little bit more appropriately mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So it's interesting watching, I've been around uh, Justin Buckthorpe an awful lot, been around Rosie and Sean an awful lot. And I find it fascinating how how much of a team you guys are together. It's something that I don't, that I think the majority of, the, of PJ Tour and European Tour players could learn from is how well you integrate and work together to assist, well, the ultimate goal to make Justin as good as he can be. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, right? So for me, it's always a question of how can I make the player in front of me better? How can I help him? And that means different things for different People absolutely. within the team. Oh, absolutely. Better for you equals healthy, functioning. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I think in a case of, of Justin, he's, he's obviously a very well-established player. He has had a tremendously successful career. Um, and at 38, he's not old in the sport, but he's been playing professional golf for 20 years. And, and that comes with his own set of wear and tear from travel and playing, past injury and that kind of thing. And Justin has, it seems, suffered from health issues a little more than most. Yes. So in the past, he definitely does have a history of back issues and that kind of stuff. So when I came on as, as a part of the team, my big impetus was I always told him, I said, look, you can't get that much better if you're hurt all the time. So be, practice becomes difficult. Travel becomes difficult. Playing tournaments becomes difficult. So my real whole job, one of my first goal coming out was just trying to keep him healthy and he would sort of do the rest. And, you know, we've had a ridiculous amount of success in the last couple of years. And, and that's most of that has been spurred by just keeping him healthy. So and just allowing him to be the athlete that he is. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I see so many. Um, I see so many coaches of different disciplines measuring their success in terms of wins or top tens or appearances in in certain teams or getting into certain events but the reality is that if you don't have a healthy athlete all of that's irrelevant i completely agree yeah the health of the athlete especially in in golf is so important i think if you're struggling with injuries or if there's a mismatch between what a coach is asking a player to do and yeah. what they physically can and can't do 
inevitably that leads to poor performance and probably injury over time. So I'm extremely lucky with Sean in that he's very open to listening to what I have to say and he's very curious always in trying to help Justin, but in the safest possible way. Yeah, so let, let lead into this nicely that how do you and Sean work together? Because ultimately, certainly in golf, an awful lot of a player's health is determined by the quality of his movement. Poor movement with travel, jet lag, different hotels, different climates, volume of golf balls will tend to result in a player breaking down sooner. So how, how do you and Sean work together to ensure that the movement he's making is as healthy as he possibly can, number one? And then number two, how do you monitor each other's work? Do you monitor each other's work? Yes, those are great questions. To answer your first question, I think it was really started from the very beginning when I first assessed Justin and really took a look at what he was capable of and what he wasn't capable of. Um, just from an orthopedic standpoint and from yeah. a movement standpoint. And then that led into multiple conversations with Sean of what I thought he was, you know, excelled at and what I foresaw as his potential restrictions. And then spending a lot of time with Sean on the range and to Justin's credit too, he's very open and he's always looking for ways to get better, so. And he strikes me as being very body aware. Is that something do you think that's the product of learning to be body aware or is that just a gift he's been? I think that's one of his gifts. I think he is, he is very aware in that sense. Um, and I think that's definitely one of his gifts that have, has allowed him to be a very good golfer. Um, and I think over time too, he's developed a lot of that away from golf kind of in the gym and really understanding his body better. And for playing as long as he's played, I think he's just developed that skill that he already was you know, very good at, but he just developed it over time. So spending a lot of time with Sean on the range, kind of understanding things. And for me, in the background in sports medicine, uh, you know, obviously I'm not a golf coach, but Sean and I can have intelligent conversations based on what he can and can't do and sort of how I see things. And he may not use language I'm familiar with and I may not use language he's familiar with, but we can kind of come to a common ground um, between Sean, myself and Justin and have those conversations. And I think from a monitoring standpoint, if we're trying to get Justin to do certain things and then he comes in to see me for treatment at whether it's after a round or on an off week or something, and there's different parts of his body that are sore or there's different, you know, he's using different muscles or different things or orthopedic tests show up differently or movement tests show up differently, I immediately feedback to Sean. I said, you know what, I think you know, what we're doing is great, but it's placing stress on this area. So we just need to be a little more cognizant of that. Or conversely, you know, a lot of times in the last little bit, we've made some changes and I said, hey, that's really helped. Uh, for instance, hey, that's really helped his right side of his low back. You know, what, what you guys have been doing kind of on the range and on the course uh, has taken a lot of stress off his back. So just keep doing that. And, and we kind of always feed back into that. And, you know, Sean's always sending me swings and we're always kind of, it's a constant dialogue that the three of us kind of have. Awesome. Yeah. In terms of what Rosie does day to day now, how much has that, do you think, changed over the last couple of years? Has he always been a very organized, disciplined athlete or is that something that he's had to be coached to become? Yeah, I think 
To excel in any sport, I think on some level you have to be organized. A while back, Justin gave an interview and I think he put it better than I ever could. He said, basically, you know, the guys on my team kind of act as the bumpers in the bowling alley. So when I'm about to go off course, yep. someone's there to kind of knock me back in. And I think that's a very appropriate analogy. So whether it's Sean, myself, Justin Buckthorpe, Marcus Caddy, Phil Kenyon, whoever it is part of the team, you just say, hey, mate, we need to do a little bit better job here. And, and he's very open to that. And we all see things a little bit differently. And we all kind of have our little bits that we want to accomplish. And he's very cognizant of doing all those little pieces to become the athlete he is. Yeah. So it's really just a little bit of a conversation between all of us to sort of keep everyone in check. Yeah. It's inter- I've had a number of discussions with the guys that compromise Francesco Molinari's team and also the, the guys that are involved in Rosie's team. And it strikes me that they're probably the two most functional teams in world golf just now. And it doesn't seem like it's much of a coincidence that they're two of the highest performers in the game over the course of the last yeah. two or three years. Yeah, I mean, Hugh, perhaps I'm biased a little bit, but... Uh, I, I do hope you are. Yeah, <laughs> just a touch, but I definitely think that's an important part of it. And, and I think in a team organization, I think it really has to be about the player. So there's going to be weeks where Sean's going to do a lot more coaching. Yeah. There's going to be weeks where Phil does a lot more of his putting work. Yeah. There's going to be weeks where Justin spends a lot more time with me. And with the goal of, you know, over the course of a season, at the end of the season, you play better. Do you consciously schedule it so that there's, if you like, there's a physical week, a golf swing technique week, a putting week, or is it? Yeah, I, I think we all have in our minds, you know, at the beginning of the season, we sort of set out goals for the season and we kind of have priorities for different weeks, but things come up, right? So... You know, on my end, it could have been a lot of travel, too many tournaments in a row, little niggles here and there, and then we have to kind of prioritize that. We always have a plan A, but with tour life, uh, plan A doesn't always work out. Well, this is a thing, because maybe not in recent times, but going back maybe 10 years, there seemed to be a movement in golf towards a very, very structured annual schedule which I would never felt particularly comfortable with because, as you point out, it changes. Absolutely. You're dealing with so many variables in the playing of this game at the highest level that to be able to stick to some very rigid, structured plan over the course of any more than three or four weeks is next to impossible. I completely agree with that. And realistically, at the start of all seasons, I tell my guys, you know, we have 365 days to get better. And the nature of the sport, because of the travel and playing four days in a row, is very uncommon for most sports. So that in and of itself presents a challenge. So to me, it's, you know, how do we structure weeks um, where we improve a little bit consistently? And there may be weeks where we're not improving, but we're not getting worse with the goal that over the course of an entire season we get better and, and there, inevitably there has to be flexibility within that to allow the athlete to be human and I think a lot of the times with a structured approach like that it's not taking into account the athlete as a human mm-hmm. so all these guys have 
wives and kids and yeah. family that they need to attend to. They have obligations outside of professional golf. They have all of these things, especially guys who are international players like Justin, like Francesco. They're traveling all over the world and they have commitments all over the world. So to assume that this is the week we're going to peak for this event or this is the week we're going to do this, it's a pretty bold ask for these mm. guys. I mean, it looks very tidy on paper and it looks very logical and very sexy, but ultimately when it comes to executing it, it's just not possible. Yeah, even for me, kind of in my role in sports medicine and, and general strength conditioning, the idea of periodization in golf doesn't work. And real, realistically, it doesn't work for any sport, perhaps other than Olympic sports, where you're peaking for something every four years. Any, any kind of cycle sport or yeah. sport that works in cycles yeah. is 100% agree. So, obviously, you've, you've, or Justin has seen the benefits of working in the very close-knit team environment. Francesco's clearly doing the same. How many athletes in golf now do you think are cottoning onto this? I think it's definitely becoming more of a trend. I think what has to happen is it has to be an athlete-centered model. And in a way, it has to be from the athlete's desire to get better. Athlete-centered, coach-driven. Absolutely. So if it's just a collection of people with their own agendas, then it's inevitably never going to work. I have to confess that I see that more often with North America or PGA Tour players where there is a lot of very high-qualified coaches, all of whom are personalities, if you like, in their own right. And... That's certainly not the case in the team that you work with and the team that Francesco's got around him. Yeah, and and I mean, I've been being over here this week. I've I've just come to realize, you know, from at a very young age, guys in the UK, they're used to doing squad-based work. The coaches are used to closely working with physiotherapists. Uh, Physiotherapists are, you know, working closely with the biomech guys. So everyone's kind of working as a team with all of these guys collectively you know, from a very young age. And I just think in North America that doesn't typically happen. Is that a cultural thing, do you think? Yeah, I think it speaks to how athletics in North America are structured in general. So it's very individualized. And more often than not, uh, you see European players with coaches that they've had since they were we kids and you don't often see that in North America. That's pretty rare. So it's a PJ tour, get a big name coach. Yeah. That's yeah. you know, unfortunately, or <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, mm-hmm. that's kind of how it works. How do you think the collegiate system contributes to that then? Because on the face of it, the collegiate system should be a good, strong team organization with the athletes at the center of it. Yeah. But it, certainly in my experience, I don't see that being the case. Yeah, it's really hit or miss. I think especially in golf, in the collegiate system, I've had a lot of young guys get better in college. And I've had a lot of young guys who had very promising careers sort of fizzle out in college. And I think that's a mismatch between the college coach and the player. I also think it speaks to, in a way, over here, players are sort of expected to be relatively autonomous. Whereas a lot of young guys in North America, they just get used to being told what to do. And there is, but equally that from the coaching staff, there is an expectation that the players are subservient. There's almost a, a military type approach to it yeah. where Sergeant Major here, you do what I tell you to do as many times <laughs> as I tell you to do it, when I tell you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So when when guys get to college and if they have a coach who says, 
the expectation is, you know, you need to figure out how to improve, then they'll struggle. And some of them can overcome that and learn how to be that way. But, you know, in their defense, if they've never been autonomous from a young age, it's going to be very hard at 18 or 19 years old just to all of a sudden be that way. How young would you start to educate your players to become more self-sufficient, more autonomous? I work with kids 13, 14 years old. I don't work with many kids much younger than that, so I really can't speak to that. But kind of in my teenage group of guys, my goal with them is to kind of be better human beings. And I think that speaks to a little bit of autonomy. And whether they improve at golf at that age, I'm not too concerned with. If I solely concentrate on improving their fitness or improving their golf game, but disregard them as a human being, I don't find they excel as much. If I spend a lot of time improving them as human beings, then the fitness and the golf and everything sort of seems to come along with it because they're instilling better habits and just looking at things a little bit differently. It's interesting because I had a fantastic chat with Robert Rock yesterday and just listening to his story, which is really, he's something of an outlier in terms of professional golf in Europe, certainly. And... The thing that he put his success and growth down to as a player was having to figure it all out himself. Yet we're surrounded by parents predominantly, but also the culture suggests now that if if you're half decent at golf at 12 years old and you've not got a coach, there's something wrong. So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is when these 12-year-olds are then put in front of coaches who are not trying to develop the human being ahead of the golfer, and who are concerned solely with performance and not trying to create this autonomy that you talk about, they generally hit a barrier. It really bothers me when you see youngsters who've got putting coach, swing coach, psychologist. Yes. (laughs) And, And they've got all these beautiful plans put in place, but it's almost like the player is this kind of ship floating around in the ocean, bouncing from one person to the next and never truly taking control of his own course and coaching for me is absolutely is great at any age if you're coaching the player to become self-sufficient and a real self-server they can look after their own stuff on a day-to-day basis so let's change direction a little bit do you think that Justin had any concept of how effective this real team culture could be when he embarked on it? To me, Justin has always struck me as sort of a pioneer in, a, in many ways. I mean, he was one of the guys of his generation that was sort of a real international player. I mean, he sort of stuck a flag in the ground and said, I'm going to play the PGA Tour when most European guys weren't doing that. And he's always looked for ways to get better. And uh, I think bringing Sean on was instrumental for him um, in his success and Sean's always had different people that he's worked with over the years and and I think in a way Sean helped him with sort of the team approach you know in between Sean and Mark uh, his caddy he's brought on a lot of people here and there over the years to help him with different things so it's always about fit too. You bring people on, you, you test out how it works. And and sometimes a part of the team that 
especially in North America, I struggle with is sometimes being a part of a team is solving a problem for that player. And that may not mean that you're with that player for 10 years. And that's perfectly fine. There's always going to be a core to the team, usually the coach and the caddy and the player. And then realistically, the rest of us are there just to solve a problem. And if that problem no longer exists, then truthfully, we've probably done our job. Yeah, absolutely. There's no shame in that whatsoever. <laughs> no, absolutely yeah. not. You're trying to work yourself out of a job. Yeah, well, in, in a way, yeah. So it's... Um, but don't you think that that continuity that, that Rosie's got is a major part of his success now? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, he's, he's had Mark with him for nine, ten years, I believe. Sean's worked with him for eight. Buckthorpe's been with him for eight or nine years. Yeah. Uh, so definitely the continuity is important on some level to build on that success. What's your take on players who bounce around between coaching staff, caddies? Is there an upside for that? So that's an interesting question. I think when you start bouncing around between multiple ones, I think that's a player who's looking for answers from some, who's looking to be told what to do rather than coming to their own conclusions. I've seen players change coaches and win the next week just because that coach said something that resonated with that player that they probably knew all along they just needed to hear it a little bit differently and the player coach relationship to me is very interesting kind of on the outside looking in in many ways it's like a marriage <laughs> i mean it's, it's some professional athletes are so good at marriage aren't yes they? <laughs> well it's it's something that you know it takes time to cultivate and and it's really about I think as a coach, that's a very difficult job and really understanding where, where your athlete's at and sort of what, yeah. what they need. And, and also I think something that Sean's world-class at is really understanding his guys on a human level. Yeah. And it's not just about, okay, I need your hands in this position yeah. or I need the club to be here. It's how are you doing today? You know, how's your recovery? How's everything going with Brandon? How are things yeah. at home? What have you been doing in the gym? Kind of yeah. all of these things. And, and he has a good understanding of his guys as human beings. Yeah. And I think that allows him to be a more effective coach. Yeah. I've said this many times before in the podcast that unless there's a functioning relationship between all members of the team, but predominantly between team members and the player, yeah. it's very difficult to maximize the performance of that player. Oh, absolutely. Very difficult. Mm -hmm. And some players don't necessarily want a relationship but no. at some point you've got to understand what makes each other take to be able to get the best out of each other. Okay, so final question. Golf, from a sporting perspective, is probably a little bit behind other sports in embracing sports science, sports medicine. Yeah. There are instances now, your situation being one of them, where you're taking it to quite an advanced level, but you're definitely the exception rather than the ruling golf. Where does sports medicine move now? How does and sports science fit in with a player's development, knowing what we know? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me in my own personal journey, it's better understanding the demands of the sport. And I think that's extremely important, and I don't think I can really stress that enough. And there definitely seems to be a void in the guys working on yeah. both tours. Yeah, oh, absolutely. In so, terms, they may be very expert in their field, understanding how that will fit into golf, which as you've already pointed out, it's played over four days. Yeah. It's not just four days, it's probably six or seven hours of work on four days. It's a sport that 
demands different things. Yeah, it, it's very unique. I, I think as far as sports medicine is concerned, I think a lot of guys, and dare I say golf fitness, a lot of guys have been obsessed with essentially looking at just swings on the range yeah. and saying, okay, these are the physical characteristics and this is what leads to this and that. And, you know, work, working with different coaches and different guys in the sport, I realized it's not that simple at all. And one of the things that was really troubling for me was just in terms of S&C and fitness for golf is everything had to look like the golf swing, which I think is a fundamental misunderstanding. So for me, it's really what are the physical requirements of the sport? What are the true physical requirements? So what does an athlete need to be able to do in all aspects to perform in the sport? And I think that's a more important question than looking at, okay, well, if they need to do this in their swing, I should design an exercise yeah. to do this. So it's what kind of range of motion do they need in certain joints? What are the power capacity work that needs to be done to produce the amount of force mm -hmm. in the golf swing. So questions like that, kind of taking it one step back rather than just trying to mimic the golf swing, yeah. I think is very important. And then from an injury standpoint, the thing that's been extremely helpful is obviously surrounding myself with good coaches, but surrounding myself with good biomechanists like Mark Bull and really just understanding what can affect what and, and sort of what joints are required to do certain things in the golf swing and, and where injury can occur, I think is super important. It's interesting you mentioned that because certainly my growth as a coach has been accelerated more in recent years by spending time with guys like Mark or with guys like yourself and understanding basically function, movement. Yes. Understanding cause and effect and how that would then translate into club and ball behavior and certainly my education initially for probably the first 10-15 years of my career where I've been coaching full-time was very much driven by okay what does a good golf swing look like and then when I nailed that bit down it's like okay well I know what a good golf swing looks like so what do different good golf swings look like and then starting to understand matching component parts well if the body pivots in this way then what's going to be the most effective way to match hands and arms to that that was really, as I said, that was probably the first 15 years. It never even dawned on me, my ignorance more than anything, it never even dawned on me that actually, shouldn't I be spending an awful lot of time figuring out, number one, <laughs> what's good function? Yeah. What does good movement look like? How do those two contribute to how the club moves? Then, on top of that, and the bit, to me, the great unknown now is how people learn to move and what's the most effective way to improve movement? I think we're very much at the start point on that particular journey. Oh, I absolutely agree. And that's one of the exciting things for me. You know, whether it's at a junior level or just some of my young professionals or kind of all the way at the top with Justin, those are the questions that I'm continually asking. We've all worked with players where you can see an immediate and dramatic change and improvement in movement. And then the other side of the coin, you've got guys who seem to take an inordinate amount of time to make tiny gains. And certainly my understanding there is very limited. I suspect that that's reflected across the business. Yeah, and, and I think that's where it's important. Even if the players you work with, you're not involved in a team, I would encourage anyone in this industry to seek out other people in other professions 
to try and better understand certain things. So I think always good things generally happen when sports medicine guys spend time with coaches and vice versa. 100%. And coaches spend time with 3D guys. And But I, th- I think to add to that, and I've maintained this for a long time, that that's all well and good. That experience doubles in value, triples in value the minute you have a subject, a player in there. Oh, absolutely. Who you, who you all know intimately. Yeah, I agree. That's when the real magic happens, I think, in my opinion. Anyway, Brendan, I'm going to uh, I'm going to let you go now. Thank you for your time. I appreciate Hopefully it very much. Hopefully we can get much. you back to uh, talk more movement in the next few years as we understand more and more about it. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you.